morning. Good morning, everyone. Oh, that's a nice voice. <laughs> can you say? The, uh, can you tell the person beside you? Good morning. You, are you excited today? Yeah. Let me just settle down here. All right. Welcome again to Every Nation Bahrain. My name is Gene. I'm one of the life group leaders here in Every Nation Bahrain. We are part of a global movement, as you see, uh, as you saw in the video. We are committed in establishing church, planting churches. We're committed also to uh, reaching out the next generation on the campus and also preaching the gospel to every nation. So that name, Every Nation, is not just a name. It's also our declaration of our calling. That's why every nation is very important for us. No? We are praying that uh, as we go, the gospel will be preached uh, wherever the Lord uh, sends us. Now, again, my name is Gene. This is my family. And can I see? Yeah, that's me and my lovely wife, Rose, and our adorable uh, daughter. Her name is River. Yeah. <laughs> and she's now two years old, and she's always running around. You know, you will see her every time after the service. Now, we, we hope to, uh, you know, get in touch with you and maybe pray for you also. Now, uh, this week we had our annual prayer and fasting, just like what we've uh, talked about earlier. Um, and uh, we have devoted ourselves to the Word of God. How many of you devoted yourselves to the Word of God every day? Only three. How many of you? And can I see those hands? Thank you very much. You know, uh, we've also devoted our time in prayer. We are believing God would demonstrate supernatural things, no? How many of you have already experienced the supernatural? Yeah, so through us and of course in our midst so that we will be able to proclaim his name from where we are. Now, we are believing that God, or we believe, all right, we still believe that God still performs miracles. Do you believe that? We still believe that God still performs miracles or signs and wonders even up to this day to display His glory, you know, to display His power and to invite people to Himself, right? So uh, we are believing for miracles performed in our families. How many of you believe uh, salvation of your family? Yeah? We're praying for that. We're praying for miracles performed in your marriages. Right? Sometimes, you know, you need miracle in your marriages, diba? In, uh, in our jobs, how many of you are looking for a new job? Hmm. Yeah, and we'll, we're praying for miracles in your jobs. Promotions in your studies, maybe good grade in math <laughs> or in science. Maybe you need a miracle in math, right? <laughs> so, uh, and we're also praying for miracles in our communities, and our campus outreaches. We are believing for healing, for provision, for guidance, for deliverance, for protection, for restoration of relationships, you know, and of course, more importantly, we are believing that through these miracles, there will be new opportunities for us to preach the gospel to everyone. Now, we are starting off a new series, as you know, <laughs> And uh, coincidentally, it's entitled Miracles. Yeah. So uh, while the stories and the lessons we've heard in the past uh, five days, all right, in your devotional guide, they were taken from the book of Acts. You remember? They were, uh, they were taken from the book of Acts. But now these stories that we will be uh, talking about for the, for the next seven weeks, we will go through the stories that were taken from the Gospel of John. All right, from the Gospel of John. Now, the preaching team thought that uh, it's actually a very good timing for us. Now, we, we started last Christmas with John, and then we continued our series break in John in the past uh, two Fridays. And now we will be looking at, uh, we will continue looking at the book or the Gospel of John. How many of you are blessed? Uh, the, the, uh, when, uh, when we are studying the book of John, how many of you are enjoying it? I'm enjoying it also very much. 
Now, uh, just to give you a quick overview, all right, of what the uh, Gospel of John is all about. Well, the Gospel of John is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The, those, we, we call them the synoptic Gospels, all right? In, uh, in that more than 90% of the materials are unique, all right? John is unique uh, in many ways, right? John's Gospel does not focus on the miracles, the parables, or the public speeches that are very important in those three uh, Gospels or those three accounts. Instead, the Gospel of John emphasizes the identity of Jesus Christ, right? That's the focus, that's the theme of John's Gospel or John's version of the Gospel. By the way, all right, just a, uh, this is not here in my notes. We only have one Gospel, and that is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, written in four perspectives, all right? So one Gospel, Jesus, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, written in four perspectives. And again, so it emphasizes the identity of Jesus as the Son of God and how we, as believers, should respond to His teachings. That's the focus. Now, while the three Gospels or the Synoptic Gospels focus on the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, right? In Galilee. John's Gospel focuses on His ministry in Jerusalem. Now, Galilee is on the northern part. Jerusalem is on the southern part. Now, John is known to uniquely contain the seven I am's. We know that. Now, some of you know that already. The seven I am statements, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life. Those seven statements of Jesus Christ. And of course, it also contains the seven signs of the Messiah, which, are, which we will be looking at today. Now, uh, this is very important, all right? The key passage, or the key passages, are in John chapter 1, verses 1, oh, 14 to 16. Can I see that? All right. There, it says there, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, from form... From, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Those are the key verses of John. All right? And that's what we're going to do today. We're gonna, the, the, the preaching will be hanging on those two preaching or those two pa uh, passages. Now, the word seen, have you seen seen? The word seen here. All right? In, in Greek, it's theomai. It means to gaze upon, all right? It's to gaze upon or to look closely, all right? To look closely. So that's what we're going to do the whole series. We're going to gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you want to do that? You don't want? <laughs> we're going to look at Jesus closely through His Word. And He's going to be our focus, all right? He's going to be our focus because... No one else deserves our focus and attention and contemplation than Jesus Christ, right? So uh, what's in for us? Of course, we're going to focus on, but what's in it for us? What's the purpose? Why John wrote his gospel? This is the reason. Verse tw uh, 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the, uh, the disciples which are not written in this book. So he, he only selected a few, uh, few miracles or few narratives, few stories, but Jesus did a lot of things. He said a lot of things. But these are written, this is the purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have eternal life. So, what's the purpose of us looking at Jesus is that we hope that we will put our trust in Him. That's our hope. Now, as we look at these stories, you will put your hope in Jesus Christ. You will trust Him. 
You know, nowhere in the Gospel of John is the word faith, in, uh, meaning faith. But when he says believe or put their faith, it means trusting in him. All right? So, if you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, all right, if you have not received, I invite you to join us these three, seven weeks. Right? If you have not enjoyed Jesus, if you have not received him, if you have, you have no relationship with Jesus yet, no, let me invite you to come and join us these seven weeks. Now, our goal is really not simply information, all right, but transformation. So that's our goal. We're going to ask the Lord for transformation because to see Jesus in, God, uh, in John's gospel is to discover Christ and consequently to be changed forever. Uh, let me get, uh, can I help, ask help? Yeah, and to see Jesus in John's gospel is to discover Christ and consequently to be changed forever. How many of you want change uh, you know you, you need to be changed no? so this series all right seven weeks long uh, we will look at seven miracles these are the seven miracles first turning water into wine that's uh, john chapter 2 verse uh, 1 to 11 and then so on for seven weeks these are the topics that we're going to be uh, looking at and um just a few encouragement no uh in order for us you know to uh, really enjoy this every Friday. Why don't you just, before you go, before you come to church, why don't you read? No. Read these passages so that as we come together next Friday, we will be enjoying the Word of God together. Alright? So let me summarize the preaching. No. Let me summarize the big lesson in John. No. What's the biggest lesson that we can learn from the Gospel of John? And this is the lesson. The word came from heaven to accomplish his work on earth so that we who are on earth can have a home in heaven. All right? That's, if we can summarize the whole John's gospel, that's the lesson. The word who is Jesus, the son of God, he came from heaven to accomplish his work here on earth so that we who are here on earth can have a home in heaven are you excited hmm? are you excited all right i'm excited also <laughs> i'm actually having cramps right now i'm so excited now uh <laughs> can i ask everyone to stand so we will be talking now about uh we will be reading First John, uh, John chapter 2, verse 11, 1 to 11, All right? If you have your Bibles with you, now turn to John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. I'll be reading this in the ESV. Just follow along. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Right? They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there, for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now became wine and did not know where it came from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This 
the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, just like the song, Lord God, that we have uh, sang earlier, open our eyes to see your glory. Draw us deeper into you, Lord God. That's our prayer today. Our prayer, Lord God, as we go through the written word about the word became flesh, that we will behold your glory. Glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Lord, we are expectant, Lord God, that what we are about to hear, we will, it will change our lives, Lord God, forever. Grant us, Lord God, from your fullness, from Jesus' full, fullness, Lord God, the wonderful truth, Lord God, to receive grace upon grace. We thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may now be seated. Now, for those of you who are um, taking notes, right, here's a tip, right? Uh, three S, three S. Number one is the sign. So we'll be, uh, I'll be broke, breaking this down to three S, the sign, that's number one, and then the setting, the sign, the setting, and then the Son of God. So we're going to look at the sign, and then we're going to look at what happened in the setting, and then later on, we will look at what this sign in the setting points to who Jesus is. All right? So, the sign. Let me just begin from the last verse. All right? The sign. Says there, the, uh, this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, there are four Greek words uh, that's, uh, that describes sign. But, uh, but Apostle, the Apostle John, who wrote John, he used the word sign or simeon. Alright? In Greek, it's simeon to describe what happened during this wedding in Cana. Alright? What does simeon mean? I don't know if you, if you are able to read it, but simeon or sign means a miracle. Alright? That's a miracle. Miracle. Or, it's a mark by which a person or a thing is distinguished from others and is known. That's a mark. Alright? A mark by which a person is distinguished from others and is known. For example, uh, how do you distinguish, say, Andrew? He is a head taller above everyone else, everyone else from us here, no? That's a mark. That's a sign. Uh, another meaning of uh, sign is a forecast of a remarkable event soon to happen. Alright? That's a miracle mark and a forecast of a remarkable event that will soon happen. Now, all these three descriptions of Simeon, we will see that here in this narrative. They will be very, very evident. Alright? Am I, you know, am I uh, raising your interest now? No? All these three definitions of Simeon, they will be evident here in this narrative. Now, so that, that's the sign. Let's go now to the setting. Verse 1. Can we look at verse 1? On the third day, Right? On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. It says there, on the third day, right? That is, two days after Jesus met with Nathaniel and Philip, all right, in chapter 1. Do you guys remember last week? Two days after that incident or that encounter, Jesus or John recorded this uh, I mean, this wedding happened. So that means in the span of seven days or in a, within a week, John had already recorded three significant events that had happened in the lives of Jesus, in the life of Jesus. First, Jesus came to, the, to John to be baptized, right? To John the Baptist to be baptized. Second, Jesus called his disciples. You guys remember? His first disciples, Andrew, 
and his brother Simon, Phil, uh, Simon Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. And the third one is this event, the wedding in Cana. So those three events happened in just one week or within a week. Now this is Cana, all right? This is Cana. It's a town in northern Israel in the district of Galilee. It's in the northern part of Israel. It's only mentioned in the Gospel of John. You won't see it in the other Gospels. It's only mentioned, this Cana, this town, is only mentioned in the Gospel of John. Now, Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples, he was a native. Right? Nathaniel, you, you can see that in chapter 21, verse 2. Nathaniel, the one who, whom Jesus encountered in the last chapter, he is from Cana. Alright? So, Based on uh, some archaeological studies, the region where this uh, town is, or town was, Cana, was located, they contained small villages. All right? Small villages with populations varying around 100 to 400. 100 people or 100 residents. So we can safely say that, or we can safely assume that Cana was just a small community. Just 100 people, for 100 to 400 people, definitely, you know, it's, it's just a small community. Everyone, for sure, knows everyone else, all right? News can spread very easily in that small community, all right? Now, uh, there's uh, another detail there in verse 1. It says there, the mother of Jesus was there. The mother of Jesus was there, Mary. Alright, that's Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was present in the wedding. Now, another trivia, you will see, no, uh, I mean, nowhere in the Gospel of John did the Apostle mention the name Mary. It's always mother of Jesus. Alright, it's always mother of Jesus. I don't know for what reason, but she is always referred to as the mother of Jesus. The mother of Jesus. Verse 2, let's go on. So that's in Cana. There's a wedding in Cana. The mother of Jesus was there. Verse 2, Jesus also was invited to the wedding. Alright, with his disciples. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So this was probably a family, uh, a family affair. You know, this can be a family affair where Jesus, uh, his mother, his Probably his brothers and sisters were invited. Now, we can, we can assume that his brothers and his sisters are also there. Now, because in, uh, in, verses 12, in verse 12, you will see there that after the wedding, they went to Capernaum along with his mother, his brothers, and his sisters and disciples. So this is like something, na, something that you would go to like, because maybe they, they're assuming that this wedding was a uh, wedding of a close family friend. Perhaps a disciple of Jesus, we don't know. But, uh, more, but what's important is that this is a wedding of someone related or close to their family. That is, that's the reason why probably Mary was involved. Right? She was helping out. So the disciples, we know that those who, are, who were there, this... Uh, there's Andrew, Peter, James, John, and possibly Philip and Nathaniel. Now, those are the, the first six of his disciples. They were probably with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, verse, thir- verse 3 says here, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, or said to him, They have no wine. All right? I don't know if Mary, when she said to uh, Jesus, she was smirking or like she was smiling. I'm sure, no, this is a huge problem. <laughs> All right. Now, this is me and Rose on our wedding day. And that's our photo. That's our family photo. That's, mo- uh, that's more than five years ago. All right. Five years ago with our families. Uh, can we go? <laughs> Just one click lang. Sorry. Uh, 
Right? That's uh, that's our family photo. That's our uh, wedding photo five years ago with our friends, our closest relatives, you know, our siblings, even our best friends. We are just 40 people in total. Now you can have a small wedding. <laughs> Don't have to have a grand wedding celebration of 200 or 300. Now you can have 40 people. Now it was actually our first time to worship the Lord. You know, how many of you believe that uh, the, we uh, the wedding ceremony is a worship service? It's a worship service. And that's our first worship service to be husband and wife. As husband and wife. Um, this is our photo with our parents. Now, you know, uh, this, it was one of the happiest and perhaps the most beautiful day Rose and I had. So, uh, I mean, we had an excellent design, uh, excellent setup. We had lovely music. For our uh, background music, we, uh, we employed Rose's brothers and sisters. No, even their, be, uh, their her best friends. Um, for our photographer, I believe, yeah, he's one of my life group members. <laughs> All right. Uh, our godfather, they are our best friends. All right. So we only invited the closest to us. No, um, we, had our uh, we had delicious food. Of course, we had wonderful fellowship with our family. It was a breakfast wedding in Anabang. No? It was a breakfast wedding. So we had to, you know, uh, wake up so early, like 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock, to just prepare. But it was very good, no? By the way, now uh, we had also our post-wedding celebration. <laughs> yeah. So for those whom we have not invited during the wedding or the wedding day, we've invited them after. That's why I called it post-wedding. <laughs> so uh, the following day, we had our uh, lunch with our cousins and relatives. So it's actually as much as enjoyable as the, you know, the wedding day itself. And this is uh, uh, just, just a couple of probably a tip. You know. it's, it's actually less expensive <laughs> when you do this. <laughs> For those of you who are planning to get married, you know, there are some less expensive options when you get married all right maybe this this is uh this is one example anyway <laughs> now uh this is me and rose a few minutes after <laughs> no after the celebration we were announcing to the guests we have run out of wine we have forgotten to bring the champagne and the party was over. Of course, it's not. Didn't happen. <laughs> it's just a joke. It, it didn't happen. All right. It didn't happen. It must have been a very embarrassing uh, moment for for the both of us, no? and even for our guests and family members. It didn't happen in Alabang. This is our picture after that. We live happily ever after. You know. It didn't happen in Alab in Alabang in the Philippines, but it happened in Kenya. All right, it happened in Cana. They ran out of wine. All right, verse 3. Let's go back to verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to them, or said to him, they have no wine. All right, again, it appears that the mother of Jesus was involved. All right, she had an important role in the wedding. Somehow she's in charge of the arrangements. And you know what? In ancient Israel, uh, the festivities like the Passover, the unleavened bread, the Feast of Tabernacles, and of course, weddings, they could last for seven days. Right? Seven days. And uh, they were characterized with great dancing and celebration. Right? The guests were given special garments. The bridegroom and the bride, they were treated as king and queen. The newlyweds, they do not have any part of the work. All right? They would just watch the festivities, join the dancing, and drink wine. All right? And uh, who's in charge? The one, uh, the ruler of the feast was in charge, the master of the feast. He was responsible for all the preparations and the benedictions. Well, he's the wedding coordinator. All right? He's the wedding coordinator. Now, this is very important. 
wine is an integral part of the celebration. Wine. Right? Wine is an integral part of celebration. Why? Because it symbolizes joy and God's blessing. Alright? It symbolizes joy and God's blessing. For example, in Psalm chapter 104, 14 to uh, 15, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to what? Gladden the heart of man, oil to his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So wine is for joy. It symbolizes joy. It also symbolizes God's blessing. We know this. Uh, Proverbs 3, verse 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. So wine during that time symbolizes joy and blessing. In fact, the Jewish rabbis, they had a saying that without wine, there is no joy. Alright? Without wine, there is no joy. So that means to run out of wine is to run out of joy and God's blessing and reason for celebration. That's how important wine was during that time. Now, just a quick disclaimer. <laughs> okay? We are not advocating drunkenness here or intoxication. <laughs> Alright? We are not in any way telling you to get drunk, you know? It's in Proverbs 20, verse 1. You know that. Proverbs 20, those who are led by wine and strong drink, they're, they're not wise. They're fools. Alright? So, <laughs> alright? So, I, I, I just want to make myself clear here. Alright? Because I'm also representing the, the church and also its leadership. So at this point, all right, at this point, Jesus could have responded no differently when he heard her mom says, there is no wine, all right? After all, he was only a guest, right? He was only a guest. He was not the master of the feast. He, he, he's neither the bridegroom nor the parent of the newlyweds. Well, I could imagine he was, uh, Jesus would say, he could have responded, Yuma Kaliwari. <laughs> Kaliwali. Or, I'm having a bad feeling about this. <laughs> or, oops. Or, yikes. No? So, I mean, that's our usual response. But let's see how Jesus responded. No? Let's examine how Jesus responded. And I know most of you, you already know this story. And you know how it goes. Right? You have read this narrative Several different times, uh, you're familiar with the story. But here's what we're going to do now. Because there's a lot of things to be said in this story. We're just going to settle down with just four or five. Five things or five observations about the person of Jesus Christ. Right? For the sake of time. For the sake of time. And then we'll allow the Holy Spirit you know, to show us these five observations to give us fresh revelation about who the Lord Jesus is being full of grace and truth and how it points us to him being the son of God, right? So what Jesus said during this time or what Jesus said, it talks about much about him being the word became flesh, the Messiah, the son of God. So that's the sign, the setting now will go to the son of God. So first observation, verse 4. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does it have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Woman. <laughs> Woman. Wait. <laughs> Wait a minute, Virgin. Does that sound disrespectful? Uh, does, it, does, does it sound rude? I mean, how can Jesus address his mother, woman? Right? I mean, it's kind of rude. It's like, 
Rebecca requesting Bowen. Bowen, please take out our trash. And Bowen would say, woman. <laughs> right? Or maybe Tita Maricel asking Keben to buy chapati in the cold store. And he would respond, woman. <laughs> what does it have to do with me? My time has not yet come. <laughs> right? I'm busy playing mobile games. Ask Bettina instead. <laughs> right? Now, let me just say these things to men, alright? Men particular. This purse is not your license to turn away from your responsibility, okay? <laughs> it, that does not, uh, it, that's not the meaning of the verse. Alright, so what's the meaning of the verse? So, was Jesus, was Jesus being rude to his mother? Now, when you read the response in English, it sounded impolite and disrespectful. Right? However, in Aramaic, or in Jesus' native language, and during his time, and in their, I mean, their culture back then, Mary would not have interpreted these words that way. Alright? So, it was a different time and a different setting. Now, it was, it's not how they would perceive that woman, uh, woman term disrespectful. The word woman, when you interpret it here in context, would be the equivalent to madam. Alright? Madam. Madam? That's the closest one, the madam. So what this statement means is that Jesus was he was distancing himself from the, the request of his mother. All right? That's what it means. He's distancing himself to the request of Mary because it's not yet his time to reveal the power, his power in public. All right? It was not, he, he said, my hour has not yet come. It's not the time for him to reveal the power, his power, to the public. Now, important note, this is the only, in the seven signs that we've, uh, we've uh, read earlier, this is the only sign that was recorded in private. This is the only miracle in private that was done by Jesus Christ. The rest are in public. Right? This is in private. Jesus performed the miracle in private. So, Jesus was not being rude, right? He was not being rude. His response was just abrupt, right? It was abrupt. It was unexpected. Like, was, was he dishonoring his parents? No, I don't think so. I mean, even, uh, certainly not, because the Bible says Jesus committed no sin. So, he was not disrespecting his, uh, his parent. But what's surprising here is that when he said, not today, madam, he goes on to do the miracle. Right? He did something supernatural anyway. So the question is, now he could have said, you know, no problem. I'll do it. I got this. No? So if you're going to do it anyway, why would you say the same thing? Why would you say that word? And do it. Diba? What's his point? Uh, are you thinking what I'm thinking now? Diba? If he's going to do it anyway, why would he say that to Mary? Here's the point. When Jesus distanced himself to Mary's request, all right, he was making a point that his obedience, all right, his obedience, his devotion, his obligation is absolutely to his heavenly father alone. Did you get that? When he said, woman, not today, my father has his own timing. My father has his own timing. So that means, so what does it mean? It means that no human being on earth, all right, no human being on earth can move his will or activate his power without the divine permission of the Father. Is it, uh, is it clear? Or 
there's not, nothing will happen if it's not in accordance to the perfect timing and to the perfect plan of God. That's what he was saying. Jesus was saying, in, uh, he said in John chapter 5, verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit are always in sync. Right? They are always in sync. So, so what? <laughs> Alright, so what is it for us today? Now, what does it mean for us today? Is this like something that we should be worried about? Is this something that we should be thankful for? Uh, why is this important? See, this, this, is, this is the reason why it's important. Because we can come to Jesus and receive favor not based on our family's affiliation, but on faith alone. We don't need Mary because Mary doesn't have special access to God. Let me say that again. You don't need to pray, Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners now and the hour of death. He do, she doesn't have any special access to God. Instead, we can come to Jesus directly for our salvation. Salvation is by faith, not by family or family connection. And that's good news. That's good news. Why? Because if your family, you know, if, you, if your family is, they're not believers, you can still come to the Lord and then ask them. That they will also seek the Lord. So, what does this observation say about who Jesus is? First, Jesus is the obedient Son of God. Right? He is the, it tells us that Jesus is the obedient Son of God. Second observation, verse 6 to 8. Are you enjoying this? I'm enjoying this. Verse 6 to 8. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. You know, it's important to note here that those water jars were not meant for drinking. Okay? They were not meant for drinking. It's very clear here. They were for bathing or for ritual purification. All right? In the Old Testament, you know, a, a person to be uh, restored or to be accepted back to the society after he's being, uh, he was contaminated or he had been unclean due to, uh, say, various reasons. You can, you can look at it in uh, Leviticus. They had to undergo purification rites or a purification outside the camp and for a certain period of time. So they need to be quarantined. All right? So remember Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. You guys remember just earlier, no? And then he responded or he proceeded to do the miracle anyway. Jesus meant that his hour of death on the cross were or where he will shed his blood or his time to purify his people for their sins is not yet. It's, it is not yet the time. He was telling that. But he went ahead to perform the miracle as a what? As a sign. As a sign pointing to that day or hour. So he performed that miracle telling that this is what's gonna happen in the future. I will purify you of your sins. Right? He gave his disciples a clue. Simeon, a forecast of that remarkable, uh, remarkable event on Calvary that will soon to happen. Jesus was essentially saying or he was showing when he uh, repurposed the uh, purification jars, he was saying that you will no longer need these jars. You will no longer need these jars for purification because his blood will wash away their sins. Isn't that amazing? Like, 
Lord, this is you. This is you giving the sign to the disciples. No? He was showing that rituals, ceremonies, or even religion will never make us clean before God. That's the point. No? It was never the religion or the ceremonies or the rituals that will make us clean before God. It is only through His blood. It is only through His blood. So by repurposing the jars, Jesus showed that He is our purifier. He's our redeemer. Redeemer. Third observation. Third observation. I'm, I'm about, I think I'm about to finish maybe in three more, five more pages. <laughs> Third observation. This is exciting. Jesus turned the water into wine. How many of you observed that? How many of you saw that? <laughs> Verse 9 to 10. All right. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now became wine. All right. The, the water has now become wine. No, while I was preparing this, I was talking to Rose. When, when you, uh, I mean, how I asked her, how do you turn the water into wine? Like, is that even possible? I mean, is there at least like a scientific possibility or a scientific explanation here? Right? Here's what the chemical structure of water looks like. This side. That's water. On the other side, that's H2O. All right? That's two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. On your right, is a sample chemical structure of wine with all the compounds and complications that I don't understand. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Only Rose understands this. No? So, Jesus turned this into this. Water to wine. And it happened in a moment. Right? In an instant. This, in an instant. In the blink of an eye, by what? By simply speaking the word. How amazing is that? <laughs> right? Did you know that the process of making wine, it takes several months? No? But the process here, he reduced it into an instant. He said to the servants, fill the jars with water, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. I mean, obviously, I'm not good at science, <laughs> but I ask, I ask help from a scientist. All right, I ask help from a scientist by the name of Cliff Lewis to explain it to us. All right, so this is what. Uh, listen to what he wrote. All right, explaining the supernatural phenomenon. He says, at a molecular level, the water, basically hydrogen and oxygen was changed into what into wine that contains sugars yeast water which contain carbon and nitrogen along with oxygen and hydrogen thus by changing water into wine jesus demonstrated his authority over even in the atomic structure of atoms by commanding oxygen and hydrogen atoms to disassemble and reform in other atoms of another configurations. <laughs> right? It's not just a simple chemistry experiment. It's not even illusion. It's not magic. It's what? It's a miracle. Right? You can see the mastery of Jesus here. The one who created everything out of nothing. Right? How mind-blowing is that? <laughs> he goes on to say, the amount of energy it would take to perform this atomic deconstruction and reconstruction is staggering. Uh, this intermolecular energy being released is the source of the explosive energy for, from an atomic bomb. However, since Jesus caused the wine atoms to come back together, he would have to put 
this astronomical amount of energy into the atoms in order to have them reconstruct. To do so without any visible energy transformation of the liquid indicates a mastery of natural law far beyond our current comprehension. And he accomplished it with no physical exertion. What he was saying is that he was able to contain the staggering energy of diffusing and infusion, the, the, fusion, the fusion and fusion of atoms, which is equivalent into like the explosion of an atomic bomb. That's how powerful the Lord is. Right? That's staggering. And if he have not, you know, controlled that, Cana would have been bombed like he was nothing. Yeah. That's power overwhelming. <laughs> so the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, it demonstrates his power over all things, even down to the atomic level. Right? To the atomic level. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. That's what it points us to this. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Now, here's a question. Does that mean he can turn the zebra stripes into spots? <laughs> I believe he can. You know, I believe the Lord can. How many of you believe he can? But I think God thinks it's not a good idea. <laughs> All right. Last, uh, no, maybe second to the last observation. This is very good. Jesus provided for the newlyweds. Verse 9 to 10. When the master of the feast tasted the wine, now become wine. Right? It did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people drank freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Right? You know, I can imagine the feeling of being a guest or a host during that time. Uh, when there was a shortage of food. Uh, or uh, probably in their case, a shortage of wine. Now, it would have been a huge embarrassment for the couple. It would have been huge, especially for the bridegroom. Because the bridegroom was supposed to provide for the bride. And the newlyweds to provide the means for entertainment to the guests. So, I would imagine they could have been the talk of the town. Right? For many months. Perhaps until the next wedding. Uh, I was imagining the headlines Kena Kena newspaper huh? they would have probably drowned in shame because of the shortage of wine that's probably it was uh, it says in their, their newspaper the couple who settled for nothing less than water for their wedding celebration or the party's over we only have water next time you bring your own wine or maybe top start for Mr. and Mrs. This. Huh? Or cheers to the saddest wedding in history. Right? I mean, imagine what kind of life they would have lived together. A lifetime of shame and regret. They missed it. It was the most special day of their lives, and yet they missed providing like you see, you see, you have no more wine, or we have no more wine, may have been the worst news, right? May have been the news, uh, worst news for the newlyweds, but not for Jesus. Uh, why? Because he can turn dead ends into doorways, right? He can turn dead ends into doorways. In turning water into wine, Jesus provided for everyone, not just for the newlyweds. For everyone. He was like the king. 
Uh, he was like a king who gives lavishly to everyone without counting the cups and the bottles and the pitchers. He didn't count that. And what he had provided was not an ordinary wine. Now, when Jesus performed the wine, the result was outstanding. It was the most excellent of wine. Uh, he said there, but you have kept the good wine until now. He saved the best for last. You know, in turning the water into wine, this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. He turned everyone's sadness to overflowing joy and celebration. Right? Overflowing joy and celebration. There's another one that points to the Messiah in Amos chapter 9 verse 13 it says there and can I call the music team uh, Graham behold the days are coming declares the Lord when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and treader of grapes whom, his, whom who sows the seed the mountains shall dip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it all Israel knew about this, this prophecy that when the Messiah comes, wine will flow. Wine will flow when the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes to deliver His people, there will be joy and celebration. Right? You know, I will never forget what my victory group leader told me when I was, when Rose and I just got married. Oh, we were starting fresh. We don't have uh, any idea what's ahead of us. Like I was trading my career in the Philippines for the time to spend with Rose here in Bahrain. Uh, my victory group leader, his name is uh, Kuya Paolo, and he said this. The last thing you should ever worry about is God's provision. The last thing you, would, you should ever worry about is God's provision. It's not just for the married couples or newlyweds, for everyone. The last thing you should ever worry about is provision. God will always provide for you. He said that. He will always provide for you no matter where you are and no matter what situation you are in. You know, God provided for me and my family when I did not have job for 28 months. For the longest time, He did not, you know, He did not fail. He provided for us. Because the Bible says, those who believe those who trust in Jesus will never be put to shame. That's what he did to the newlyweds. That's he did for us. Uh, we had, he saved us from this wedding in Cana experience or in this embarrassment. Now, the Lord sent help from friends who secretly blessed us. They were buying milk and diapers for river. They were sending food. Now, when did we had none? And of course, I would like to thank you for being part of our miracle story. You know, much like Jesus who provided the better wine for the couple, I am not ashamed to say that the Lord provided for my family better than I did for them. Jesus is the better provider. Husbands, you will fail, but the Lord will not. Last observation. No one in the wedding did something, did something to deserve the best wine. No one. So what does it say about Jesus? He is what? He is full of grace and truth. He is full of grace and truth. He did not say, okay, this is what, in replacement of my miracle, this is what we're going to do. Or I have to ask first of you, how... How is your marriage doing before I do this miracle? No, he didn't do it. He didn't say that. He is full of grace and gloriously generous. In summary, you know, let me say that Jesus is the obedient Son of God, the sovereign Lord over the universe, who came to purify us from our sins and provide us everlasting joy and God's blessings. That's what He came for. 
purify us from our sins and to give us a home in heaven. Everlasting joy and God's blessing. Can I ask everyone to please stand? We're going to have our communion today. But I haven't come full circle. No, I haven't come full circle. Verse 11 says, This, the first of His signs, Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory and the disciples believed in Him. You know, I can show you the miracles of Jesus, but it's for you to believe. Not just in the miracle, but on Jesus Christ. The sign points us to Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God. So the question for us here, or the question for you now is, do you believe in Jesus? Not just the miracles, but do you believe in Him? Do you believe whom He says He is? Now, if that's you, the Bible says that there is eternal joy waiting for you. That's good news, right? That's eternal joy waiting for us, whom we have, uh, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you have not put your faith in Him, my prayer is that you will. I pray that you will put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you will, you will follow Him every day because He's inviting you to follow Him every day. Let's pray, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would turn our water into wine. Our lack, Lord God, to abundance. Would you turn, Lord God, our life of sin to a life of forgiveness and repentance? Would you turn, Lord God, our desperation to happiness? Lord, would you turn our bitterness towards our enemies to sweetness and love towards them, Lord God? Lord, we even ask, Lord God, right now, would you turn our death into life, to eternal life? Holy Spirit, would you do your work of saving people as they hear the gospel, Lord God, preach today? Whether here or in the, our podcast, Lord God, or wherever it is, or whatever your word is heard, Lord God, we're praying that they would believe in you. They would put their lives, that they will put their faith in you, Jesus, alone. Not on Mary and not on the miracles, but on your, on your, in you alone, Lord God. We say this, Lord God, in full trust. And we thank you, Lord God, knowing, Lord God, that if we put our trust in you, we will never be put to shame. We bless you, Lord God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have our communion, so please stay standing as our ashers distribute the elements. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 26, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he has given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, as we eat the bread, Lord, we remember what you have done on the cross. You have showed us your obedience to the Father. 
you have shown us, Lord God, that you are the sovereign Lord of the universe. That you came here to purify us from our sins and to give us eternal life with full of joy and God's blessing. We thank you, Lord God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Let's take bread. Lord, we look forward into that day, Lord. When you come, there will be abundance of wine, joy, and God's blessing. Thank you, Lord God, that because of your shed blood, we will be able to partake on this wonderful, wonderful celebration in all eternity. We look forward to that, Lord, and we declare that you are faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake of that. Now for the benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. You are now dismissed. Thank you very much.